Welcome to the Lee Sloan Podcast. I believe that ideas and conversations have consequences, consequences that impact generations to come. Thanks for joining me today. Together, let's be brave enough to think, brave enough to feel, brave enough to change the world, one brave conversation at a time. Well, we're back for another round on this topic of what happens when you find yourself at a disadvantage for having an advantage, when being too good is actually sort of bad. I asked you if you could tell me about a time when this happened to you. So I'm very thankful for Hansel Orzami sending me a clip from Covina, California. Let's take a listen. Well, I think for me, one of the clearest times was when I was in my early 20s. I I wanted to work in the uh, technology field, and um, in those days, everybody wanted to get Microsoft certified, and uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of money um, going to like an expensive college, so I found a um, trade school that actually had training um, um, to be able to take the test to get certified for Microsoft. Uh, I wanted to become a systems engineer. That was the hottest thing back then, network engineer. And so, yeah, I found a place that had a good reputation of students passing the test, getting a certification, getting high-paid jobs. And so that's what I did. I, you know, I kind of outdid myself. I got, you know, the network administrator certification, got the database certification, uh, even hardware, all those kinds of good things. Got those, um, you know, graduated, took the test, passed them, got the certification. And then I went to go look for jobs and um, the jobs that were available um, required like five years experience in the field. So I was fresh out of school and getting the certifications done. I didn't have experience. So I was applying for jobs at like Best Buy in their computer department and Fry's Electronics, things like that. And it was, they didn't want to hire me. It was just really, um, you know, they said I was too overqualified. Uh, they just needed, they didn't want to pay that much, you know. And I was thinking to myself, man, some of these guys that work at these places are idiots. They didn't know anything about the products. They didn't know how it worked, how it networked with each other. Um, they didn't know basics about computers. They didn't know about networking. Um, they didn't know any of that stuff. And so I was at a loss. You know, I just was so angry that you know, I took all the time and effort and studied hard. They weren't easy to get. You know, they were, you know, quite sought after. And you really had to be smart and learn. You had to learn a lot of information. And I was just angry. And so here Hansel gives us this classic example of the disadvantage of being overqualified for a job. 
I always thought that word overqualified was really strange. Like, what does that even mean? How could you be overqualified if you can do the job? And so, you know, here's an example of a time where excelling something actually hurt. In this case, it was a loss of opportunity for financial reward. In other cases, maybe in your case, it's a loss of relationship or a loss of a measure of influence. It's the subtle ways that we end up in life being punished for doing something good, for stepping out, for achieving. I'm sure all of us have stories of times like this in our lives. It's this quiet little force that pulls us down just enough to keep us from standing above the crowd. It's the force of mediocrity that is only comfortable when we're all at just about the same level. Now, I know it's a subjective feeling, but I feel this force in my culture now more than ever. I wonder if you feel it too. Do you feel that force of mediocrity trying to keep you from achieving your best life? Maybe it it comes from your own mind, or maybe it comes from your family or other people in your life. But don't you feel like today we tend to celebrate the plight of the underdog just a little bit more, or maybe sometimes a lot more, than the victories of the top dog? So I have a theory about what's been happening in our culture. I want to thank you for hanging in there and humoring me in my theory today. See, I believe that in culture, we we do these pendulum swings a lot in our culture. And we've been pendulum swinging so far one way for so long that I think what's happening is that we're swinging back. So, you know, think about our Western society. Let's go all the way back to ancient Greece, where our European heritage stems from. In ancient Greece, we competed in contests to show who was the strongest, the fastest, and who made it to the peak of human performance, right? We call this the Olympics. And even in that ancient art, we tried to draw these perfect idealized, beautiful specimens of human beings. And even though that ideal changed over time, we were always going for the ideal, right? Now, fast forward during the time of the knights and and the kings, we prized the ideals of honor and of chivalry, of responsibility that came with nobility. Then during the Renaissance period, we created art We made new discoveries in science, and we pushed the boundaries of everything that we thought we knew, and we found that there was so much more, and it just thrilled us and gave us greater energy to pursue more and more discoveries. And so as we we looked around, we realized we can discover more in this world, so we traveled to the new world, and in doing so, we were pushing even further the boundaries of what we knew. And at the same time, we were seeking more wealth, and it was quenching our curiosity for new agricultural methods and new ways of prospering. Then during the industrial age and and further westward expansion, it was the, the mantra was just more, more, bigger, better, faster, more efficient. And we applauded and lauded those who were successful, who were wealthy, and who were more advanced. And so somehow in this great, great time, these several hundred years of pushing forward, upward and onward, we, we got so excited about ourselves and our accomplishments that we 
kind of stumbled over our relationships. We ended up running over people that shouldn't have been run over. We used people and abused people. Some people even died in, our, in this quest for greatness. We made a lot of missteps and a lot of people were hurt. And so now we've, we've experienced everything that happened in the wake of this quest for success. And a lot of people were left in pain and bitterness. And so now I, I feel like society is kind of pulling us the other way. For, and for some, I think it swung very far back in the other direction. And, but, you know, because we are Americans and we're probably never going to stop being competitive and, and stop having a sense of justice, instead, we've actually become competitive in the other direction. Now it seems that instead of applauding and hailing those who stand out among the strongest and the best of all of us, we seem to now identify more with those who have been more challenged and oppressed. Some have given this a name. And it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek name, but, you know, it plays off this idea of the Greek Olympics, but we, we now call this a new type of competition called the Oppression Olympics. And it kind of makes me laugh a little bit, but it's sad at the same time. It seems like we're in this competition about which people group has suffered more and which one might be more oppressed than another. And it's almost like we measure how oppressed these people are. I was watching an episode of Portlandia where they do this thing called an allergy pride parade. And it is just as hilarious as it sounds. One by one, different groups of people walk by. You have the lactose intolerant group, you know, wearing cow suits. And they have the wheat allergy group and any other kind of allergy you can imagine. And to top it all off, the princess of the parade was being toted in an ambulance because she couldn't be outside due to, to her allergy to air, water, and sun. Now, this is pretty ridiculous, but it, it was so funny because it is so true. That's kind of what we do in our society today. There's actually a word, like a real word, that's used on college campuses for this type of layering effect, like who's, who's experienced more injustice than another person, and it's called intersectionality. You may have heard of this word. So as an example, let's say that you're a woman and you're of African descent and you are happen to be gay or you identify as gay. In that case, you have three layers of intersectionality because these are three groups of people that have experienced some level of oppression in America. Now, this seems pretty logical, you know, to measure are, are different layers of injustice that we've, we might be experiencing. On another level, it seems that looking at life this way and, and really analyzing it this way, I fear can be harmful over time. It reminds me of this allergy parade, <laughs> allergy pride parade. It makes me wonder, is it really healthy to place so much focus on the injustices we've suffered rather than on what we can accomplish in spite of what was suffered? See, I think in our effort to appreciate and empathize with the suffering of people, we need to be really careful that we don't define ourselves by the things that we suffer. See, the legacy that I carry down to my children, it 
might have tales of suffering involved, but what I want them to take away is not the suffering itself as a badge of honor, but the way that I triumphed and we triumphed through the suffering, what we were able to do in spite of our suffering. You know, let's think about 9-11 as an example. This is something that we experienced together as a nation. And tragedy has this way of binding people together like little else can, maybe even more powerfully than other ways of bonding. But we have this human tendency to come away from suffering and latch on to sort of the fellowship of the pain that we and other people like us experience. And if, if we stay there and we never move on, our own unique suffering can eventually isolate us and alienate us from those who don't get it. They, they haven't walked through it. They haven't experienced what we've experienced. And it can leave us like these huddled masses on islands of pain. And then when someone comes along who maybe hasn't experienced the pain and it ends up experiencing success, our pain, if we don't get healing from it, can actually cause us to be suspicious of them. We might shake their hands and have a smile on our faces, but we end up thinking things like, who did you kill or sleep with or screw over to get where you are? The oppression Olympics mentality is subtle and very sneaky. It can happen in families where the parents had it so much harder than their children. I always joke that my my husband, um, Jake, spent his time, uh, uh, several of his formative childhood years in Nepal. And, And he lived in a small village with no running water, no electricity or anything. And so he has this tendency, he can, he can, if he wanted to, really really pull out his experiences and compare it to my children's experiences and really one-up them as far as suffering goes. I mean, there's, there's no one, very few people that have stories, especially people his age that have stories about how they used to have to go and hand wash their own clothes, you know, and grind their own <laughs> flour and all this stuff that he had to do. Um, and so, you know, he has to be careful that he doesn't constantly one-up them and diminish the suffering that is in their cushy little lives, right? There's a fine line between sharing our suffering with people so that they can understand us and sharing our suffering with people so that we can look down on them or somehow blame them for not being present in that suffering. And that is a very fine line indeed. When we cross that line of shame and blame, we start to worship mediocrity in our culture. We begin to honor it, bitterness, and and even pay homage to it. We begin thinking things like, man, my neighbor has no idea what I've been through, and they'll never get it, not in their cushy little lives. And it can cause us to hold back from potentially great relationships. It can cause those lines and those grooves to deepen within our socioeconomic little bubbles. So though there's validity and truth to your particular pain, we have to be careful that the validation of our own pain doesn't invalidate another's. As we tell our stories to others, they take on a life of their own. Stories of suffering either have overtones of bitterness or they have overtones of triumph and rebirth. So be careful how you tell your story. 
is the focus of your story the hero or the villain? Because the hero of our stories will live to tell them again. And what will they say? What will they carry? Will it be a legacy of victimhood or a legacy of triumph? Even though we've gotten it wrong and we've measured people by a flawed measuring stick in the past, you know, with our, with our drivenness for success and power, it doesn't mean that we should throw away any and all ideals that we could have to live up to. It doesn't mean that we should stop trying to have ideals that we can measure or progress that can be celebrated. Every society needs ideals. Ideals have done a lot of good in the world. And it's important to celebrate the gifted among us, even if for a second it makes someone else just a little bit jealous. We need to know that the thing we're striving for is difficult and that the measurement for attaining it is actually legitimate. It puts joy and triumph back into our stories. Part of what makes us great as a Western society is the way that we strive for these grand ideals. And so I don't think we can afford to throw that away. Yes, it does change the fact that some of us have suffered greatly and some more than others. We need to acknowledge the pain so we, we can heal. But our greatest boast should never to be the one who suffered the most. Unless it means that we fought for something and sacrificed for something that was worth the suffering. There has to be that hope on the other side. Jesus said it best when he said, For the joy set before me, I endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. See, his focus was on the joy, and the scorn was the suffering that was necessary to get there, not the moral of the story. When the Jews were living in Germany years ago, people said, why are these people getting richer and becoming more successful than us, Germans? What about our rights? Why do we feel like we're always under their thumb, even in our own country? It's not fair. And instead of the Jewish successes inspiring the Germans toward greatness, it caused them to become embittered. And then they started making the Jews register their goods in their stores and their material possessions. And it was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of making distinctions between us and them. And it got really, really scary. And, well, you know the rest of the story. These horrible acts of terror followed that attitude. We all have triumphs and struggles. And I don't believe that we're ever meant to carry around a measuring stick to see if you've struggled more than the next person struggled. But I do believe that the struggles that are common to us all are meant to help us understand one another and connect, not to alienate us from another and create another us and them. So I want to know your thoughts on this. Where do you see the oppression Olympics cropping up in your life or in society at large? This is a huge, gigantic topic that that we're probably going to wrap back around to at some point. We've only scratched the surface of it. So I'd be so appreciative if you could just subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I want you to go ahead and have a brave conversation this week. Until next time.